Imagine you're returning to work for the first time in about a year and a half. Just when you think you have a handle on the whole COVID situation, you're ready to get people back into the theater, everything's going great. Suddenly you learn your production of Macbeth is missing Macbeth. That's a big deal. Other than bloody daggers, that's kind of what Macbeth is known for. The production of Macbeth was largely planned before the pandemic, so there wasn't as much sort of adjusting to do once it got started, other than when you have a emergency cast change, as we did with Mr. Right. Salsi having to pull out the production. Keith Conrad, and this is Bringing Up the Lights, a podcast where I'll be giving you a look behind the curtain at the people involved in creating some of the biggest stage productions in the United States. This season, I'm following along with the Lyric Opera of Chicago as they prepare for their production of Verdi's opera Macbeth in September 2021. Andy Malinat is the Vice President of Artistic Planning for Lyric Opera of Chicago. Once Lyric has decided what their next production will be, it's pretty important to have sets, musicians, and singers on stage when people come to see set production. That's where Andy comes into the story. I talked to Andy about three weeks after my initial interview with Anthony Freud. It was mid-July 2021, and still about two months before Macbeth was scheduled to take the stage. The offices in the Civic Opera building were still mostly empty, but everyone was still feeling pretty good that we were mostly done with the COVID pandemic. That would change before too long, but we were all still young and naively optimistic. In episode two of this series, Antony talked about his exposure to opera at a young age. It turns out Andy has a similar story. Born in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, that's where I spent my childhood. And my parents were both opera admirers and Dayton had a company like many mid-sized cities did at that point. It was founded in the early 60s and uh, my mother worked backstage for them during their performances and had my dad start taking me to a rehearsal just to see how I'd think about it. You know, mm-hmm. And I was, I think, fascinated as a child by the visuals especially, but I had an affinity for what I was hearing as well. And uh, it sort of was my introduction to it and I just took a love to the art form with time. Andy may have been an enthusiastic supporter of the arts, but he never saw himself being one of the performers on stage. Uh, Never wanted to be a singer myself. I I studied piano and had friends who were singers, but just didn't have the fire in my belly to be a performer in, in that way. And enjoyed my time in high school, learning more about the art form as well, sort of as a hobby on the side. And went to college as an economics major. But while in college, I was thinking, well, maybe artistic administration um, would be a career choice for me that combines a love for the arts, but a more administrative side. Mm-hmm. And I, by the end of college, I started looking for positions at opera companies. And there weren't any openings at the time I was applying initially, but I got a lot of support. And one thing led to another. And I had an interview with the person who at that point was general director of Welsh National Opera, who was Matthew Epstein, who also was a consultant for Lyric Opera at that time. And indeed, he confirmed he had no openings in his theater, but he said, let's, uh, let's have a conversation. And he mentioned that he also worked as a consultant for Columbia Artists Management, which was one of the leading management companies for opera singers, conductors, mm-hmm. classical musicians. And 
thought I might be interested uh, in that. And at that point, I'm 22 years old. It's a few months out of college. I'm looking for a job. I thought, let's go for it. So I moved to New York, started working at Columbia Artists, and Mm -hmm. that gave me a wonderful exposure just to the art form in general, to be living in New York and having so much more to see. Uh, The Metropolitan Opera, New York City Opera at that time, concerts, and then to start doing some traveling and including coming to Lyric Opera for the first time in 1996 was for Zalame with Catherine Malfitano and Gwyn Teruel and worked my way up a little bit in the business up to being a junior manager. And after having worked at Columbia Artists for a number of years in 2000, I started to look again a little more at opportunities at theaters as I had examined early on. And by coincidence, there was an opening in the rehearsal department and that was a logical step of in terms of being in charge of the scheduling of, uh, for the company and getting into a mid-sized position in a theater and a good good way in and uh, fortunately Bill Mason who was general director at that point agreed to give me the position and I moved here in August of 20 of 2000 August of 2000 and started my first season at the company then about a year later, the colleague who was in charge of artistic administration decided it was time to retire and the position became open and I applied for it and uh, was given that promotion. And that's more or less the position I've been doing since then, which is sort of heading the casting of the soloists for the company in collaboration, of course, with our general director and music director. It's very much a, a team process and they have the final say in the decisions we make. but. It's exciting for me that enough of my ideas they find interesting that we can go forward with them. So mm-hmm. even if I'm not the person making the casting decisions independently, I do feel I have a, a useful input into the process. So I've been doing that job since then. Obviously, everything has worked out, but getting a business degree was a good way for Andy to hedge his bets in case he ultimately discovered a career in theater production wasn't the best idea for him. Yeah, I felt so, too. It just seemed a good balance. And I think there was a conservative side to my parents who liked the idea of getting a business degree as well uh, and then using that in whatever way I I would be able to do so. learned from General Director Anthony Freud in episode two that the entire process of putting together a production can be as long as four to five years from the time a decision is made until opening night. So what goes into that decision-making process? The choice of titles lays with Anthony Freud, our general director, and in collaboration with our music director, they're sort of forming the foundation of the artistic vision for the company. And then once we think about titles, we start thinking about casting and often it's linked. If we were to do Macbeth, who would we want to have saying Macbeth? Or it may come from a conversation with a singer saying, I'm going to start singing a certain, I'm going to start singing Tosca in a few years. And we'd be like, well, that could be interesting. And maybe we should do Tosca for this singer. Um, it's, a, it's a wide combination. And it's having the ever popular Labo M, Carmen, Aida coming back at intervals that are public expects and looks forward to having. So there are all a number of different angles that can uh, lead to a, a title coming into a season and mixing musical styles, mixing language styles, mixing comedies and more serious works so that we have a balance for our public to enjoy, that it's not just the same title over and over for the whole season. 
What were the factors that made Macbeth the right fit for lyric opera in 2021? We've not done it since 2010, so enough time had passed that it made sense to to do the to do that particular title again. Mm-hmm. Uh, some titles you'll do every five years, like La Buen Carmen. Some we try to do maybe every decade. Other titles might be every 20 years or longer, uh, just depending on how popular they are, what the demand is for them, and if you have particular singers for them. Some of the lesser known titles, you want to have a star singer in them to help make it appealing to the public, uh, not just do it based on the title as well. So where in that four-year run between when you've made that decision and opening night, will you start to go through the casting process and finding out who will actually be taking the stage when you, well, bring up the lights? Well, in terms of casting, it's all fully set, you know, usually a year in advance. I would say the autumn before the season begins, that's when we know what the artist will be in the Y and Opera Center and will any of them be suited for some of the supporting parts, uh, which is a wonderful chance for them to get experience on stage and get get some training and get exposed to working in large parts. And then certain parts will know that, well, we don't have this particular voice in the Opera Center and we'll look to have a guest artist do that part. So we sort of fill in the blanks in terms of the casting of the the medium-sized and smaller parts at that point. And then casting, it often is not what you plan initially four years ahead of time. That uh, singers are human beings, life evolves, people have family situations. Sometimes an artist decides that a part which was appealing to them four years in advance, the more they work on it, it's actually not a good fit for their voice. And they have to withdraw from the engagement and then you find a replacement. Um, Sometimes people have family issues that compel them to have to leave an engagement. And unfortunately, we had one of those situations where Luca Salsi, who we announced in May for the title part, has had to withdraw from, from our production. So we then were looking for somebody who would be available to step in and do an exi- become an exciting death for our new production. And we all feel we're, we've, we had luck with Oman Bordenko, who will be joining us. That would put most of the casting decisions just before the entire world shut down because of COVID, which certainly was a lucky break. What was that casting process like for Macbeth? I think once we have a title in mind, we do sit as a team, which involves Anthony, our music director. We have a casting consultant, Ava Maria Wieser, and myself, Mm -hmm. and we brainstorm about who are the different people you would have for the different parts, and you put it together. And also, which are the parts that you would want to cast, that you need to cast three or four years in advance? What are some parts that are good for emerging singers where you might want to wait a couple of years and see, okay, who's the next person coming out as a exciting talent that mm-hmm. we want to have in the cast. Um, so in with an opera like Macbeth, you certainly want to know who you're going to have singing Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, but you may, might want to wait a little more time before you decide who's going to sing Macduff or who's going to sing Banco. Those parts are not as large as the title parts and mm-hmm. can be exciting opportunities. And in, we also keep in mind of graduates from the Ryan Opera Center. So somebody like Christian Van Horn, we, we enjoy having him. He's having a wonderfully successful career. So it was logical to invite him to do Banco. And then Joshua Guerrero is going to be making his lyric debut, an up-and-coming tenor who I've been sort of keeping my eyes on for a number of years. He was a young artist in Los Angeles and has moved at Long End. We thought, well, this would be a good choice of part to have a debut for him. Just when everything seemed to be going well in the summer of 2021, Luca Salzi was scheduled to play Macbeth. Then he was replaced by Roman Bordenko, who subsequently had to bow out of the production for personal reasons. Luckily, Craig Koklo was able to step in. 
three Macbeths before rehearsal even started. As you might imagine, that's a bit of a problem for Macbeth. It's a little like the Chicago Cubs trading three of their top stars. It creates a little bit of a hole in the lineup. So what happens in a situation like that? Is it the understudy's time to shine, or are you starting completely from scratch? It depends on the part, the nature of the part. Um, sometimes we have promoted the understudy to take over the part. Other times we do look around and see who might be available to d- take the part and come in, which is the situation we had with Mr. Gordanko stabbing him. After surviving COVID and a last-minute casting change, what could almost be tempted to think there's some sort of bad luck associated with the play Macbeth? But that's a story for another day. All of this does illustrate that it's a good idea to have a pipeline of potential talent. For Lyric Opera of Chicago, that's where the Ryan Opera Center comes in. Whether you're casting at the beginning of the process or having to scramble to find a replacement later on, how hard is it to get a performer to sign on to a specific production? Do you have to put an ad in the newspaper looking for someone who has experience with Macbeth specifically? Big City Theater seeks performer with passion for regicide-related opera. Sometimes they're very happy to come to Chicago to do a part for the first time, mm-hmm. but sometimes or the Met or whatever. Sometimes they like a chance to do a part at another company that's um, before they take it to Met or Chicago or to sort of you know to try it out, you know? So right. you'll, you'll go to, you, you, may, you, know, you may not do it for the first time at Met Chicago Paris, you'll want to do it in Philadelphia, which is a little less exposure. And, and I mean, in fact, actually, I mean, that often was very common that singers, before they went to the major theater, that they would do the part at another theater, and it's sort of, sort of expected, you know? And, mm-hmm. and it, was, it used to be a chance to do sort of a quiet getaway. That's gone away now in the age of like YouTube and I've right. heard recordings yeah. that, you know, yeah. often singers, you know, in the last decade, oh, they, you know, they had made plans to sort of do a part a little off out of the limelight. And of course, you know, the fans were there and posting the performance on YouTube. So you know, that, uh, that's been sort of a shift in the business in general about, <laughs> about that. I mean, yeah. they still will do it, but they, they know now it isn't, you know, it, it, you know, word gets out about it, you know. And it's a shame for the singers because honestly, you know, some parts... They take so much detail that you, you're not going to master it on on night on the opening of your very first production. That yeah. you want to have some time for the part to let it sink in vocally, dramatically to work on it, you know, and then you want to have it then captured, you know, after you've done it a few times, you know, and have it under your belt and have a little more experience in it. And uh, you know, and now people often your first performance gets out, and then people are like, well, she's not as detailed as so and so used to be. It's like, well, of course she's not because it's the first time doing the part, you know, but. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's, that, that's the world we live in. How much of an impact did COVID actually have on the production of Macbeth since the whole thing is a four-year process anyway? This season was largely planned before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And especially a t- the, the production of Macbeth was largely planned before the pandemic. So there wasn't as much sort of adjusting to do once it got started, other than mm-hmm. when you have a emergency cast change, as we did with Mr. Right. Salsi having to pull out the production. So COVID didn't necessarily impact us in that way. It did affect how we are looking at future seasons and what titles would we do and 
what commitments we want to make, how far in advance. And so that those seasons in some ways have been affected more by COVID than the 21-22 season, which was in good shape to a large degree. Okay, so at this point, the casting process is complete. So we know there are going to be people on the stage for opening night in September. That's nice. One less thing to worry about. The next step in the process is finding the chorus who will join the production to help tell the story. That's no small feat since the chorus can have 60 to 70 people in it. They aren't just background either. In episode four, we'll meet Michael Black, the chorus master for the Lyric Opera of Chicago, and learn about the role the chorus will play in Macbeth. So the chorus have an integral part of pretty much every opera ever written. There are a couple that don't feature choruses, but most operas have a lot of chorus in them, or at least a little bit. And the chorus come on, and their role is to advance the drama either with um, an emotional push because they're commenting on what's being happening with the principal characters, or sometimes it's for comic relief, sometimes it's for a visual thing. They need more people on stage to do things. So composers mm-hmm. wrote them into these opera scores uh, as villagers, as priests, as prostitutes, as neighbors, as villagers, to make the opera look very realistic, I think. Bringing Up the Lights is an original series from Sound Concept Media. It's written and narrated by me, Keith Conrad, with original music from John Benedek, along with the Lyric Opera of Chicago's 2010 production of Macbeth. Along the way, I had help from the team at Lyric Opera of Chicago and Elizabeth Newkirk with the Silverman Group. 